Today, we're going to talk with Jerry Jones, billionaire owner of, oh, not that Jerry Jones, different one. Jerry <laughs> is a trainer at a gym that I sometimes visit so that I can take Instagram selfies. I do a little spritzer of uh, sweat to glisten, uh, and then and then I just go home after posting on my story that I was at the gym. I was actually in the gym. But Jerry, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, your educational background? Who are you? I am Jackie Jones' son from North Carolina. I'm from, I'm, my name is Jerry Jones. I'm from Wilmington, North Carolina, a coastal town in Southern North Carolina. Um, I came, I went to school at University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill to study broadcast journalism. Um, by some set of circumstances, I ended up out here at the University of Texas, a transfer student. Um, and I've been in Texas since then, I love it. Uh, my degree is in broadcast journalism. Um, me, and it's interesting because me and a couple of friends of mine who do have, that I went to school with it, that we all have, not all of us, just like a handful, have degrees in broadcast journalism. We're all trainers now, which I find very curious. And um, that's it. I love Texas. I love Houston. I love meeting people. And I think that's why I like the career field that I've chosen, which is fitness, where I'm able to connect with others, create community. Um, make special moments i mean because i don't know what crosses other folks are carrying so it gives me a great amount of pleasure to let a light shine for that particular hour 45 minutes with people that may brighten their day so that's what i do where i'm from and all that i think it's fascinating that you started with your matrilineal roots which is which is a fun thing in sociology to understand there are some cultures um, particularly like the United States and Germany that are patrilineal. And then uh, some cultures like the Jewish culture where you're matrilineal and, and arguably over time, uh, my family had a, quite a few fence jumpers. It's probably safer to say you're somebody's, uh, your mother's son, <laughs> your dad's. Yes. Uh, but anyway, we'll, we'll keep it PG for the kids. Um, All good. <laughs> but my, my godson lives in Wilmington. Um, Little Wolf is in Wilmington. And so I visit sometimes. And it is not, um, it's been growing, but it's not a large town, but it's close not to beaches. It's close to a uh, number of military bases are, are in North Carolina. And so you sure. had a lot of military retirees. Did you mm -hmm. feel like growing up in that town, a uh, smaller town sort of created a, an impetus or pressure internally to say, I've got to get out of here? Or did you did you think it provided you the support network and closeness that you needed to achieve what you have thus far? What did you think about that? I think growing up in that town, and, and there's a couple of things. You have a, um, the historical perspective of being a black person in a town like Wilmington, North Carolina, which is built upon the Confederacy. You know, in our town on the Cape Fear River, there's still bulkheads that are still there that was used to fight during the Revolutionary War and also during the Civil War. Um, within that, you're, you're, you're tight, your families are pretty tightly connected, you know, especially among Black folks, you had to stay within where you were. There was no pressure to leave the town. I like my town. I still like it. Um, however, um, there was no expectation for me to do anything other than perhaps graduate if I wanted to graduate from high school, get a decent job. <laughs> I say this with tongue in cheek, with, with, with. I talk to my some friends, I say, like a dignified Negro and get a decent job, make a good name for myself in the community. There was no 
um, expectation or desire at that point for me to expand beyond that city. That was all that was there. However, what did motivate me was during the, my senior my senior in high school, all the people that I was in classes with, that I was in clubs with, that I cheered with in high school, started getting their early acceptance letters to college. And I'm looking around like, wait a minute, I'm in the same class as these people. How are they already getting into college? Whatever. And so I asked my friend, said, well, didn't you take the SAT? I'm like, the what? No idea. And to give you even more perspective, on my mother's side, matrilineal, my other side of the family, I'm the first person to even graduate from high school. So there was not a whole lot of expectation for me to do anything beyond that. And I had no expectation to do anything beyond that. So um, I'd always had summer jobs and, and I had jobs during the year. So I went ahead and I took this thing called the SAT, didn't study for anything. I took it and I think I scored like seven or 800, which is pretty low, but I was pretty active in school. And I, um, I was in a lot of advanced classes, literature. I studied French for six years. So languages were really easy for me. So I got some really good letters of recommendations and ended up getting accepted to um, Virginia Miller Institute, VMI, NC State, and University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And I chose Chapel Hill because I thought that was the coolest place. And so that was my impetus to get out of the town. It wasn't the town itself or anything in the town that did that, but it was the fact that I saw people that who I was studying with, that I was in class with, that were ready to leave the town and I was gonna be left behind. I was like, wait a minute, shouldn't I be doing something else too? And that's how I ended up outside of it. You know, the town itself is perfectly fine, but there was nothing intrinsic about, you know, it being a small town or it being a around military bases or whatever. Nothing about the town that made me say, I gotta get out of here. My gotta get out of here was like, I'm getting ready to be left behind and so I gotta follow these people and specifically these white kids and I gotta get out of here because they're going somewhere. I want to go wherever they're going. Sounds bizarre, but that was it. That makes a lot of sense. And, and I think that's one of the reasons, at least for my students, that I encourage them to network. And so yes. you were involved in these clubs. And so even though, as you mentioned, you, particularly in, in, in the deep South, Texas likes to pretend we're Southern, but we're really the South. No, we're not at really, all. We're cowboys, right? And yeah. so... <laughs> That we're we're not. Uh, oh, there's a little there's a little double entendre there for Jerry Jones. We're, we're cowboys, um, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so when you look at the deep South, Mississippi, Alabama, North Carolina, and you go to these roots and you see these communities of color that have been isolated, um, and, and then for you to actually then break out of what limitations you had as far as your own melanin-dependent community through cheer mm -hmm. and through these other clubs and see what are other people doing, it sounds like it was a healthy form of competition and also a healthy form of birds of a feather. Um, birds sure. of a feather yeah. flock together for, for my international students who, who may not understand that saying, like attracts like, iron sharpens iron, if, you know, as the proverbs say. So you, yeah, had I not been in those classes, had I not known those kids, I say kids now, but we're all the same age. Mm -hmm. I would, there would be no impetus or no reason for me to go beyond my town. And that I would have been just fine. And there's not, and, and don't, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think there's something valuable about that networking that allows you to explore the world and, and see other people, learn other things, travel. Even if you travel outside of your town, I think one of the best things was to leave Wilmington and go to Chapel Hill and go to school. It was really cool. And I saw people, you know, people from other countries, from Hong Kong, from, from, from everywhere, that my roommate 
And I still remember that my first roommate, Guillermo Arana. He was from Mexico. It was like, you know, where did this come from? You know, I'd never seen. And, and during that time, back in the 80s, and I graduated high school in 1983, there were no Latinos that were in Wilmington. It was, you were black or you were white, and that was it. There was no, and so going to college was like, hey, wow, this is pretty cool. You know, it was great. It's, why did you pick broadcast journalism as a major? Was it the similar peer pressure or, or was that something you, you saw and liked? I saw it. I liked it. I liked the idea of being a, uh, being a, a reporter, investigating, questioning people. Not questioning people, but questioning just life, how things occur. Why is this happening? What is the solution to the, when this is happening? What is the solution if there's a problem to solving that? And being an impetus for, um, for, for that kind of change, for that kind of exposure. Um, it's one of the reasons why I, I watch, and one of my favorite journalists is, um, well, is Ali Belshi, but most of all, I like Rachel Maddow. She is such a, I, don't, uh, I wanna say, I say political historian, but she knows her stuff. And it's, it's just, it's so encouraging to watch that. I just wanted to be a part of some, I, I was, it was either gonna be law school or teaching English or something like that, but broadcast journalists spoke to me because it, got, it gave me a chance to interact with others, to do that sort of investigative thing that a lawyer does. So you got the best of both worlds, so that's how I ended up in that. And wanting, I guess, the vanity of probably wanting to be in front of a camera, I don't know. <laughs> so. And that unfortunately, because we only do audio, our listeners are not going to enjoy your wonderful visage, but uh, they can they can <laughs> sign up for one of your many classes and then uh, sure. enjoy your motivational words and, and great smile uh, anytime they want that you are teaching a class. So so there, sure. there's still the opportunity <laughs> there. And, I will also say real quick before we go, my, my classmates, um, he's passed on now, Stuart Scott, who worked for ESPN. Um, he was one of my classmates. Um, a lot of good people that were in broadcast journals that are still doing it and, and that are really enjoying it. So I like I like to sort of be a hanger on there. I knew Stuart Scott when, when we were freshmen at, at University of North Carolina. He was a good journalist, and he found he worked for WRL for a while. They ended up doing ESPN, um, I forget what ESPN says, ESPN two or something like that. But it was a really well regarded journalist, sports journalist rather. So yeah, that, that, you know a lot of good peers. Um, again, running, I always say run with those at your level or better. And it was good having people like that around you. And so again, starting from Wilmington and then rising up from that, um, even, even that, um, Michael Jordan and I are from the same hometown. He is a year older than I am. Um, his, our schools would play. I was a cheerleader at New Hanover High School. He was Laney. Um, he was the basketball team. Our team was a better team. I'm just going to say that for all those people. New Hanover Wildcats was a better team than Laney the Buccaneers but um he would they would put him in and he would just win the games and so we at that time we knew something special was happening and so even, even when that was happening oh the year when that happened he went to University of North Carolina UNC won national championships it's like you knew that was one of the reasons why I wanted to go to Chapel Hill as well okay we all got to go find and do what's going on here so yeah did you find that it, or did you have techniques to make that transition less intimidating or less inspiring of insecurity and more of a challenge that was, again, a healthy and positive motivation? No, I, I had no doubt I was supposed to be exactly where I was. I never hesitated. I was never insecure. I never 
felt like I didn't belong there. I was like, I'm supposed to be worthy. I'm supposed to be at this university. I'm supposed to be with these students. There was one student that, that was in National Honor Society that did not get accepted as quickly as I did. And some of my classmates, I said, well, how did you get in before, I won't say his name, before he did? And my, and my, I said, because he was, and after going through the application process and understanding what it was and having been accepted, I was like, because he's boring. He did one thing. He was in band and choir and National Honor Society. I said, and, and, and so I didn't know why I had this perspective, but I was like, universities want students that are a little more interesting. Imagine if we took all the people that were in National Honor Society and put them in colleges. How boring would that be? You know, I mean, I mean, some people look good on paper, but it's going to make for an interesting campus, a diverse campus. Who knows? You know, and then it, then that speaks. To, there's a whole other thing, but that speaks to. I went to a sports-driven school. Were all of those athletes at that grade level to get into that school? No. I mean, let's just speak truth. They were there because they were going to make money for the university. They were going to win games for the university, and then they were giving support and resources, sometimes not so good or illegally to make sure that they stayed there and did what they needed to do for the university. So yeah, I mean, even then I had no doubt that I was supposed to be there. I was supposed to be there. So I was never insecure about it. I never felt like I didn't belong or anything like that. I did have one moment, I didn't realize how poor I was or how I didn't know anything. We were, um, some whoever, some friends of mine, we were going to the, the cafeteria or to the dining hall and excited first, first week and I go in, you know, to we go to through the line, pick up our food and we go to check out. And I was like, and I gave the lady my ID thinking, this is just what you do. And it was an older black woman. She goes, baby, you don't have a meal card. And I was like, I, and I'm like, this, is this not what I'm supposed to have? I think that's all I'm supposed to have. Unbeknownst, pardon me, unbeknownst to me, I didn't purchase, no one purchased for me a meal card. And so she, uh, she let me go through the line without embarrassing me, saying I had to take the food back or whatever. But I was like, wow, no one prepared me for that, th th those small things. I mean, that could have been a really petty humiliation, but obviously there was a, an older black woman who knew, and it's probably seen the situation before and um, stuff like that. But beyond that, I felt comfortable where I was. I didn't feel like I didn't belong or anything like that. I do think, I, I do think there's a lot of lessons for, um, and possibly debate for, some of the challenges that have happened with desegregation, right? We have these positives and I teach my students every pro is a con, every con is a pro. And one of the cons of, of, of some of this desegregation and open access is um, the distancing of these uh, sort of the older black woman that would come and take you under her wing and say, you as a young man of color, I'm gonna look out for you. Now, now we look out for everybody, right? We gotta diffuse oh, all the care without any aggressive systems that may continue the oppression now, instead of her being able to just focus on you, she's got to, so I, w that's a whole nother thing. But it sounds to me though, that you were still being encouraged. I mean, there's some of this is still gonna be enculturation. You still were building communities. And this has become evident with the pandemic isolation and people's behaviors, um, belligerent passengers on airplanes, whatever, you know, whatever headline you wanna take. And it's yeah. like that cheerleading, that these activities that built community outside of your family also inspired some confidence and at least provided you a network or support system when you were at college to even be in line with anyone to say, oh, we're, we're going to go to this meal hall. Oh, okay. I mean, you might not yeah. know what the meal hall was, but for someone guiding you to what 
where where to eat or what classes to take and things like that. So sure. we, what lessons, because now, and we haven't talked about family yet, but now, you know, you have a college age daughter who's, who's succeeding um, and continuing in your tradition at UT, UT Austin, which again, is just a very uh, well-established and, and what highly recognized public university across <laughs> the country. And, you know, what, what are the, some of those lessons about making the right friends or making appropriate networks that aren't going to bring you down, that aren't going to distract you, but still are going to be resources. I mean, what advice do you have in that sense? Um, again, I, I don't think you should, people will be there and, and, and build community and be a resource for you. However, I don't think, um, my, my words, I don't know if it's related to, I don't think we should get in, in the way of the natural process of the journey. Your journey is your journey, my journey is my journey. I can tell you the lessons I've learned from it and tell you how to navigate it. But at the end of the day, your journey is your journey. With my daughter, I said all these, you gotta do this, you gotta do this, you gotta make sure you have the college experience, blah, blah, blah. Her trajectory is very different. And I complained to her and, and gave lectures and we stopped talking for a minute and we we're back talking. And, and I just actually left her a few minutes ago before I went and got that, went shopping. But, um, I try not to get in the way, but I, and I want to be supportive. And I think that was something that I needed that I missed as far as, you know, people were trying to, or not people, but there was a, a, a saying, you've got to go this way. It's this way or no way at all. And not knowing that, well, my my trajectory was different because of my the background that I came from. And there were, there were different ways up the mountain for me, where some people may have gone straight up the mountain. I had to go this way, this way, stop for a minute, go again, go again, stop for a minute. So as far as offering advice, as far as building community, as far as uh, achieving your goals within university or within, not even within university, but where, where whatever it is that you're doing, be it a job or you know, what have you, it's, um, it's making sure that you have the right resources and support network around you that, that people hear you and that they see you. Because I, 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 I can bully my way through a conversation and try and tell you what you gotta do because this is what happened to me. So you, it may happen to you. So, and, and that's legitimate, but sometimes I just kind of stay out of the way because I've learned a lesson from being too, um, too um, I guess I can't think of a better word, but intrusive as far as it comes to offering advice and offering perspective. Um, prescriptive. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like with my daughter, I was like, well, you can't do this, you can't do that. And you can't smoke weed every day, you can't do this, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, I was like, what can I say? Her grace remained. I don't know. She was surrounding herself with some, okay, I take it back. Yeah. And, and, but again, it was her, I couldn't say to her, you can't hang out with this 24 year old student because they've already been through stuff and they're going to drag you into their perspective now. You, I don't think you're ready for that. And that did happen. And she learned that that wasn't where she was supposed to be. And then came back, not home, but came back to baseline. Does that make sense? Right. And now she's, she's doing, she's doing well, but I couldn't, I couldn't, I could not avoid that experience for her. She had to go into that to know what it was about. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Without that, she would not have that perspective of knowing my dad was right. And I don't want her to say I was right. And actually, we had we had a big long conversation about this recently. She goes, she apologized. She goes, I'm so sorry. I was so mean. I didn't know what was going on. I just went to do to do. And she goes, I don't know why I was so ugly to you. And I know now. 
And she actually said, I said, and I didn't say, you know, you don't have to. I was like, I let her speak her words and that was that. And we're fine now. You know? I think I, I was watching, um, you know, I only get to, I only have time to watch movies when I'm traveling. And so I was watching the Ruth Bader Ginsburg movie. And I, some of those points sort of resonated with me as a, as a brown person in America in the sense mm-hmm. that sometimes I think people are trying to do a favor for you by, by discouraging certain practices. Like, you yeah. know, you, you really don't want to be an astronaut. You're going to be the only one there. You're going to be the only woman. You're going to be the only person of color. It's going to be uncomfortable for you. Why don't you go over to be in the, in, on the rail car as a steward um, and, and you'll be with more people like you, right? I mean, you know, just good intentions and, and well-intentioned advice. But so I, I appreciate that idea of offering uh, anecdotes or, or personal stories to allow people to sure. make their own choices with the awareness that this has been tried before. It may work for you. It may not work for you. Um, but, but at least to have that point of reference and that, and that wisdom. When, you, yeah, when yeah. you think back to your college, and it's obviously it's it's different for both of us than, than both of our experiences now for, for, for people your daughter's age and so forth. Um, when you think about dorm living, when you think about um, sort of fraternity life, when you think about how um, some of those things may have evolved, what do you think were some of the most valuable lessons and then also valuable tools or resources that you, that you accessed to get where you are today? I think within the larger university community, being a cheerleader was invaluable. I can't even begin to to expound upon that more. I was going to um, pledge a fraternity. Uh, my friends did. I didn't because I just I just ran out of time. And I mean, with cheerleading, there's just no way. Um, but that within that community at the university, out of you know 20, 30,000 students, there were two teams. There were twenty four of us. I'm sorry, twenty. Yeah, twenty four. There were twelve. 24 of us out of the whole university that was chosen to represent that school, we were given, Nike provided us with clothing, with shoes several times a year. And, and going back to the, the meal plan, also being on a training, I was able to eat from the training table. So my food was provided for after that. Once I, once I made the cheerleading team, I was able to eat where all the athletes ate. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I think within that community, being a cheerleader, and having the fortune and the talent, having the desire, the talent, and then the good fortune to have been selected, that made life a lot easier for me. And even within that community, the friends that I made on there, when it came to summer break, you know, I didn't go home. I either went traveling with them and their families or went to their towns or went to the beach for the summer or whatever. And most times I didn't, I didn't have money to do this, but because I was with them, it allowed me access. Absolutely. I mean, and, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, it, I wasn't begging for it. I didn't, I mean, it was just the generosity of their parents. And that was that. And it was, it, there was no expectation that I was supposed to give them money or anything like that. And then, you know, then traveling, you know, with the, with the, with the, with the teams, going into different states, going to Pennsylvania, Penn State, going to Pennsylvania, going to, you know, to California, you know, to work. I mean, it was just, I mean, during the month of March, I don't think we ever set foot on campus. We were just turning in papers, but you got to travel. You got to meet these people that were alumni that were very generous with us. It was with that. I think that was probably the most valuable thing 
being within that and then having the expectation that you've got to make the grade. You got to keep your grade at this point because otherwise you're not going to make it, you know, whatever. So the expectation was set. You had to stay there or rise above it. Otherwise, I think sometimes people narrow their, their or limit themselves in their understanding of, of how organizations work, how uh, different companies or entities are structured. And one of the things that I'm hearing is that you all are doing these trips. So in theory, it's not just the football players and, and the cheerleaders, though. Didn't you all have to take other students with you then, like maybe actual trainers and other student workers? The band, yeah, the band, the trainers everybody yeah so there are oh, yeah. multiple avenues to to access that sort of for, fortunate or privileged uh access and networking you don't yeah. have to be an athlete uh you don't have to necessarily even be a musician and so to be yeah. open to that and one of the challenges in careers that i think people miss is you know when you're operating at the gym somebody has to hire the people that work there somebody has to sanitize it right when i was yeah. talking with diana this morning and you think oh, this is a person who knows where the cleaning products are, what needs to be cleaned, what surfaces are, are encountered in a way that probably no one else walking around the gym even realizes. Right. And that's a person in, in a position where not only do they have access to the, to the facility and access to those networks as, as anybody else who might train there, but not to limit themselves to say, oh, if you work at NASA, you're an astronaut. Right? No, maybe you're an engineer. Maybe you're an architect. Maybe you're a groundskeeper. You have to think of those those um, organizations, those businesses, those places as a bus. There's a driver. There are people in different seats of the bus. So you got to have the right bus, the right people in the right seat on the bus in order for the bus to go forward. Everybody's not an athlete. Everybody's not an astronaut. Everyone's not an engineer. There are several different things along those lines within that organization that have to be put in place. Otherwise, we'd be looked at as incompetent and as failures. Just being a trainer myself, I can't sanitize, I can't clean, I can't put all the equipment away. And you've seen, I, I, where I've taught three classes back to back to back, I can't get the room ready every time. And that's why we have Diana, Vanessa, you know, Joel, those people that come in and they do, they're the, they're the other people on the bus that, that, do, that do their part. I do my part, the RGM does his part, the owner does their part trainers on the floor, the, our front desk, member service, you know, the whole nine yards. And you're absolutely right. Yeah. So one, one area, and, and I told you I was going to ask you this, most people don't get this level of, of uh, sort of prescience on, on what I'm going to point out. But I do wonder when you went for broadcast journalism, you graduate, you have this shiny piece of paper and it's not rice. So I guess it probably wasn't on sheepskin like they do their stuff, but, um, <laughs> but it was paper and uh, like the rest of us get. And you, you then you had already been working as a trainer or in fitness. And so why not go University, back and get yeah. a master's degree in kinesiology or an MBA so that you could um, sort of develop the business acumen associated with your trade and, and skill set? Why not go back to graduate school and then also kind of leading beyond that, you did get a lot of licensure, certifications, education. And so Certainly, I also yeah. am curious about the role of continuous edu continued education in your journey. But, but first, why not grad school? I was, I think, first of all, I was complacent and very happy doing what I was doing. I felt very successful at it. So I think I'd risen. I feel like I've risen to the top of my trade. I think I'm one of the more recognizable and good trainers here in, in the city of Houston. Um, because I'm, I am, was young. I didn't feel the need to do more than that. 
I had no desire to. Now, going to graduate school was, oh, and money. I still had, yeah, I still had, I still had to pay off, I'm done with it. I had to pay off student loans. I was like, I'm not getting in that kind of debt. And I went to take some pre-law classes at University of Houston. And each semester I took six hours. That was $3,000 for two classes. When I was at the University of Texas, 12 hours was like six or $900. I could pay that out of my pocket with, um, I was working at Crenshaw's Gymnastics at a place on campus um, and I had a small scholarship. And then the rest was loans. So um, I don't, I can't imagine how to afford that now. So, so that was, that was one of it. So, so why not cost? I had no desire at that point. I felt successful in what I was doing. However, now that I've gotten older, my, I don't know how long my body's going to be able to continue to, to do these classes, to actually physically, you know, get out and do there. And so I think one of the things I'm looking at now is perhaps to do a graduate degree or to do some specialization in kinesiology or in management, um, in fitness somehow. Um, during my, my, my career in fitness, yes, there are continuing education units that has to be done in order to maintain your certification from CPR to um, the speciality, special class that you're taking, be it cycle, be it a weightlifting class, your, um, your, your, um, your personal training certification, National Academy of Sports Medicine, um, Pilates, every two years you've got to do all that and you've got to learn. So yes, you have to keep up with the trends. You can't just get it and then, okay, that's it. It's like a doctor saying, I'm a doctor now, why do I need to go back to learn any new techniques? Well, medicine changes, fitness changes. There was a time when it was about just lifting heavy, you gotta be big, gotta be strong, gotta be this. Were there different indications for that? I mean, um, there are different recommendations for that. There are things that are contraindicated. We can't all lift like Arnold Schwarzenegger did back in the 70s. You know, when, when fitness began, it was just, it was more about guys lifting um, heavy weights. The women were going into figure clubs or whatever it was back then, where they just kind of stand there and just kind of, they shake the fat away or whatever it was. It was insane. And then, you know, the late 70s, early 80s came around. You had people like Jane Fonda that started new trends and fit, the fitness industry evolved. And that's where we are. And so just like that, with continuing education credits, my career in fitness has evolved from just being cute doing, you know, aerobics like this to doing very, very specific time under pressure, you know, weightlifting from the kinetic chain, how to build muscles around the lumbar pelvic hip, you know, complex, you know, all that kind of stuff where we weren't concerned about that or mostly we're concerned about the physicality of it. Do you look cute? You know, some people don't look like they look regardless of how, what kind of exercise they do. And that's still true today. However, you have people that come in that have, um, that are just recovering from a surgery and we got to figure out how to make sure that we can modify it. So say, say they have rotator cuff surgery. There's exercise, where are you going to do? What are we going to do? How are we going to load that? How time under pressure, you know, how much weight will you use? Stuff like that. And how we have to specifically garner to them, not only that person in the room, but also that one particular person, but also so that we don't distract from what the other people are doing. So you have to learn how to evolve that. But um, pardon me, that's helped me along the way. And so now I think I'm at an age and a point where I think a consideration for graduate school would be a consideration for me where it wasn't when I was in my 20s and 30s. I think that also ties in, though, to your point about having the right people in the right seats on the bus. And for me, I always tell people they need to run their own race, right? Maybe you're a marathon yeah. person, maybe you're a sprinter, but you got to run your uh -huh. own race. And if you 
you know, in, in the sports world, at least, if you don't do it, what you're supposed to do or what you're, you're trying to do, you're going to get injured um, and, sure. and not really be able to reach your full potential, but also there could be other harms. So it, that makes sense. And when you think about um, continuous improvement, continuous learning, how our understanding of things have evolved, yeah, now maybe you're open to graduate school. Professionally, how have you tied a, 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 or seen that your, your education, which is not in kinesiology, how have you been able to tie those lessons of broadcast journalism, of presence, um, of, of conveying information clearly? Have you, have, I mean, or have you seen uh, that education providing value in your career, even though you didn't do um, that, that name uh, express yeah. degree? I think that in many ways, being in um, fitness is a lot like broadcast journalism. I'm conveying a message. I'm in front of people. I'm communicating with people. I have to tell them information to help them improve whatever it is they're doing. I'm conveying information so that along the journey that we're going, I have to describe and tell them how they're moving, what is going on, and what's, there's a physicality to it. I have to go to you and do a tactile cue. I've got to touch you here or touch you there. I've got to show you what it is. So and with the degree, I think a degree is so helpful. Number one, it shows your, um, your dedication to, to, um, to, what, to whatever degree is you're, that you're doing, that you have the perseverance to finish something, and that you have the desire to improve upon that. And with most degrees, you find a lot of jobs that say, sometimes they don't require, they don't care what kind of degree you have, they're going to bring it because they're going to train you in their own processes anyway. Unless it's something special like, like um, some type of engineering, some type of architecture, or even medicine. You can't just come in with a, a bachelor's degree. They're going to take you into medicine now. They're going to train you in that. Um, so yes, um, with my degree in broadcast journalism, there, there are particular parts of it. How, how I convey the message, how I intonate how I express something is very crucial how I um, how I motivate them to make sure they're listening to me and that they're following through on what it is I'm telling them to do that's important but also have the presence of mind to, to speak for them to make eye contact to that to, to have a commanding voice and to um, to to make sure that they are hearing me that they're seeing me that makes sense. That now, I'm going to go back to, I mean, I always love these conversations. I wish they could just go on for days because every time someone I'm, I'm interviewing offers a tidbit, I'm like, oh, what about this? And so one of the, the, the points that you referenced was that your degree doesn't necessarily signal intelligence or uh, work ethic as much as the ability to take a task to completion. And right. so you've worked on a lot of teams. And I, I struggle sometimes with timeliness, right? Particularly if I'm not motivated to go to a meeting government, we have way too sure. many. So I, mm -hmm. my energy level to go there, it's like, oh, oh it's like uh, the, the long walk to the uh, electric chair. Uh, oh, another meeting. Yeah. And so when what are some of the things, especially with your experience with diverse teams and diverse environments, what are some of the things that you think new graduates should be aware of, particularly as they work on projects or teams that signal something completely unrelated to maybe what that novice or new, new, newly minted um, accountant or whatever, some of those things like the degree where you're saying, no, no kid, it doesn't mean you're smart. It doesn't mean you're a harder worker. Mm -hmm. It simply signals that you can follow instructions to complete a task over a period of time. So what are some right. of those lessons from teams that you think? I think 
we never we look so good on paper with that degree we come out shining with our tassel and gown it's like i'm ready world then you go into the reality of a job of the workforce and it's, it has nothing to do with that um you've got to once you once you're in a job or on a team within a job you it's not about you it's about the project and you got to learn how to for life for to humble yourself number one listen see how the operations are then you figure out how how do i fit into this picture where what where where can i be a, an uh an effective how can i be an effective part of this team is it going to be me express myself what's well, got to be done this way it's got to be done that way no first of all you've got to listen and it doesn't matter what you think of the person that's doing the talking listen because there's still lessons to learn, even people that you think are incompetent, they know some things. Listen, figure out how how you can best serve that team with your skills, with your abilities, um, even with your weaknesses. Where can I fit in, and where can I grow stronger in this team? Where can I shine? Um, and I'll take you back to a religious thing. There's one of the things I grew up in was you always said, "Let your light so shine amongst men that they may see your good works." Let your light shine. You'll be recognized for your talent, skills, and abilities, but you've got to be humble within that. It can't be, oh, look at me, look at me. I'm so great, I'm so great, I'm so great. It's like, let your skill and ability shine. Once you're slotted in that in that space, you rise, you rise, you rise. And it's not always light years. <laughs> there's going to be a windmill, and there's going to be a waterfall. And when you fall on the other side, you got to get back up on the other side, and then you start shining some more. And those are where we learn our lessons. We get back down to my say, okay, so what was the lesson to take from that? I didn't, I didn't listen, or I didn't um, do, I didn't complete the job text, or it just wasn't for me. It wasn't a good fit. It's time for me to move on. I'm going to get up on another side of the windmill and grow up and go up there. So I think having the perspective of understanding how best you fit into an environment, onto a team, whether it's effective for you, whether it's a good fit, and also just simply, I think. I guess I can mean, listen, listen, shut up and listen sometimes. Because even amongst those people that we think are smart, the ones we don't think are smart, there are things to hear and to learn. So I think for the novice, um, be grateful that you are where you are. Once you're there, stand back, listen for a minute, and then find your place. Maybe allow them to place you. If it's not a good place, say it. Say, I, yeah. I'm gonna do what you asked me to do, but I don't I don't know that this might be a good fit, but I'm gonna do my best. But if you see something that's not working for me, I would love to have your feedback from this because I want to do the best I can on this team. That you makes know? sense. And I think a lot of people lack the creativity and I, I partially blame standardized tests. At the end of the day, we have to blame the parents. So all, all <laughs> you parents out there, you're to blame. But the, the this lack of creativity, one of the points you mentioned is that even in weaknesses, <laughs> there can be a value. And that is maybe you bring in that least um, knowledgeable person on, on the petroleum engineering project to see if you're able with your expertise to articulate it in a way that the least knowledgeable person uh, could understand before you take that pitch to a client. Maybe you take right. a colorblind person and into the room where you're doing designing something and realize, oh, wait a second. If we have, and this is, this is a very real thing with stoplights um, mm -hmm. where if, if, if the design is not integrated in the, in the proper way, um, some people are not going to be able to see it. it right or, or, or a green light. Um, exactly. That, that's something where in, I'm going to use the term weakness, where it's really just a differently abled person 
where you can sure. bring in that person with a perceived handicap and say, how can this handicap expand our horizons, increase our exposure or, or, or exploration of this topic and add value to our team? And a lot of people aren't aware of that. They can only see strength as a value. Sure, 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 sure. Um, and I also want to make, as I, as I speak to you, I want to make sure, because I don't think I know, I don't want to sound like I know everything. I'm just giving perspective. So there's there's something for everybody to share amongst us, but I hope that I'm conveying um, something useful for, for your students. Um, my perspective, it may work for some, it may not work for others, but I think it's important to be, for it to be heard. And I appreciate that you asked me to be a part of this. So I'm hoping that there's something to be gleaned, some good stuff to be gleaned from this. There is, there, and, and I think once- and, uh, and real quick, there's my insecurity. That was my insecurity speaking. I'm like, oh, I hope I'm saying the right stuff. Thanks. That's a positive that you 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 want to want to contribute. And and I think though that's part of the challenge sometimes of, of lectures, right? So I'll have 40 students in a room, and there will be five students who, when I get the surveys, say, I really hated this class. And when I first started teaching, my immediate <laughs> that the one that you were was, teaching? <laughs> right. When I was first when I was when I first started teaching, I was like, that's because you don't have any of the pieces of paper with gold foil that I have. That's because yeah. you haven't done or accomplished one eighth of what I've accomplished. And essentially, sure. in my mind, it was like, well, these five people are stupid, but the other 35 people get it. And as I've progressed in my teaching, not only have I expanded the ways that I communicate things, because at the end of the day, even if those five out of, thir out of the 40 are, are stupid, I'm still being paid to perform a service and educate them. Right. Yeah. My job is still to try to reach that that last sheep in the wilderness and bring it back to the flock. With with home. that one, that's important. That's very important. Very important. And so even from there, it's I mean, whether it's just that one person, that that one person is so important. Um, we, we may just kind of ignore them and let them get left behind. But if even if you like you said, if, if there's just five, that, that one person, you you've done your job. You know what I'm saying? For me, like there are some people, if I, if I teach a class, if I, if I do a small group training and everybody is doing great, we're getting great, getting great, getting great. And there's one, one person that will um, throw everything down. I don't like this and walk out. And it'll just, it may bring down the rest of the class, but for the rest of the class that stayed there, they're in it. And they're hundred percent in it. And then sometimes that one person that had that, that may have had that meltdown or that I missed somehow or that, something wasn't going right, I'll see them again. I'll say, well, I'll try this again. I'll try it again or whatever. Because it, it, for some reason it spoke to them, but our insecurities will stop us. Like, I don't look good. Or they're so worried about what other people think about how they're doing. No one cares. They're in their own space. Because we're in, in, a, in a training session, they're in their own thing. I want everyone to leave feeling like a success. But if you don't, if it's not a good fit for you right now, don't throw a temper transfer and walk up and say, you know what, this is working. Let's talk after this. I've got to leave right now rather than making a big scene and trying to almost ruin it for everyone else. And just like that job where I want to go in and make sure that I shot, it may not be working for you. And I say to my supervisor or whoever, I don't know if this is working. Please tell me if it's not. I need your feedback because I don't feel comfortable with this right now. I think so. asking for feedback is something that a lot of people, first of all, we're hesitant to ask for feedback because we don't know what the response will be. 
right? I was a little worried when you right. said that story. I know I've never done that, but I thought you were going to say there's always one person in the class who's off rhythm that needs a lot of extra attention. <laughs> <laughs> Not you. I'm just kidding. No, I've had people have these people have have had a complete meltdown. I, mean, I had one guy within the first five minutes. You know, we were doing some stretching for the back, and he goes. I've hurt my back. I've got to go. I was like, well, let's stretch before you walk out of here. I'm hurt. You've hurt me. And he walked out and I was just like, we were all in the class just mortified. I was like, we've barely done five minutes of work. And, and then I got downstairs. He was still sitting downstairs and he apologized, but I don't know. I don't know what crosses he's carrying, but I wanted him to know that I was concerned that, um, that something we've done may have caused him to injure himself. But I wanted him to stretch himself out. You know, the one woman that just threw everything down and walked out of the room, I never saw her again. You know, so it ends up like that. You never know. I never know. And that's something that I spoke about in an earlier conversation with them, Tuan Samuel. So my point is that wasn't personal for you. Oh, that was right, right. <laughs> we, he was, he was, uh, Tuan uh, Samuel was chief of staff for Maxine Waters for many years. And now he's, he's, he's doing big things in um, New York City. And okay. so he, um, he and I spoke about that something very sort of cliche, which is you can only give what you have, right? You can only give what you can, what you can give. And so I like that. when we, when we spoke about that idea, you mentioned not knowing what crosses people are bearing. You mentioned, you know, this, this challenge of meeting people where they are. And that's a struggle, particularly for my students, because many of our students, uh, to be fair, are um, already in jobs, um, secure, okay. stable positions. And the piece of paper is simply that evidence for their employer or particularly their human resources that they're ready for a next level promotion. So then once okay. they graduate, even though they're maybe just getting a bachelor's degree or, 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 or some, uh, or, or, or master's degree, not necessarily a doctorate or some uh, specific licensure, they are um, really in a position to make an impactful changes. They're going to be over people. And so I think that's a, a major lesson to understand is where are these people, right? That one employee comes in having a bad day. Do you just say, hey, you're fired? Or do you try to understand? And back to your point about listening, making sure that you've listened first. That yeah. you tried to make an effort to understand. Yeah, I'm not a fan of throwing people away. Unless they've done something very egregious and they know it and we acknowledge that. Beyond that, it may be that they need a little more support at work. Maybe they need additional training. Maybe they need a different position, some sort of lateral movement or lower down movement. But I mean, people, those people that we are so quick to get rid of in the firing process, termination process, don't necessarily always need to be terminated in the same way. And, and this is interesting. In the same way, I don't think everyone that gets stopped by a policeman needs to go to jail or get a fine. It may be something very simple, but do they need to go to jail for it? Do they need to get fired for it? No, because you might, you could ruin someone's life over uh, over a process. Does that make sense? That that process is not so important that we have to do that. And so that's why we have to meet people where they are. I Absolutely. mean, everything is not, yeah. We don't have to generate revenue or keep everything nice and clean and shiny. We need to make sure that we're not ruining people's lives. I think that's important. I think that's why it's important that this, this conversation that we're having be conveyed to your students, to other people that may listen to it. You're that, that, they're, that, that wherever they are, they're valuable, they're worthy, and whatever they bring to the table, bring it, let's learn from it and get better at it. That's important to me. Right, and, I, and, I, and, and you raise a valuable point as well, where I think sometimes 
individuals don't look at the strategic or long-term costs of, of their choices. Even yeah. when you come to a law enforcement officer having that initial point of contact and saying, I'm going to send this person to jail. How much more is that going to cost society in the long run? Not just the loss of creativity or talent, not just the, uh-huh. the you know the the cost or expense of um, feeding this individual and taking them out of the mm-hmm. workforce for a period of time. Potentially, if they're the the primary breadwinner, breadwinner. For his or her family, um, for them to um, then be taken out of the support network. That is to. Now the government's going to have to step in and feed that family because the breadwinners come. Yep. All of those expenses all come from uh, th- that sort of instantaneous or ad hoc decision. And I and one of the things that I hope that people are are taking away from from your point is that this works in management as well. That you may lose a very valuable or creative team member because mm-hmm. of one instance, and you've chopped off right. your nose to spite your face. You've now yeah. lost this high performer because of a meltdown one day. That you, without even understanding what the cause of that was, what, right? what, maybe yeah. they got diagnosed with cancer. Maybe they, um, you know, just found out that that uh, they lost a relative, and so mm-hmm. then to to remove you never that know from your you're actually hurting yourself. Exactly. So one of the things I've learned being in fitness in the workforce, I've had times where I've just forgotten to show up for a class, just no show, and I got a call. I'm at home. I was like, "Hey, what's up here?" She goes, "Aren't you supposed to be here?" I'm like, "No, I didn't." I'm like. I look at my calendar, and I'm like, oh, I was. And so you have to, um, and in that situation, I got called to the principal's office, had a conversation, and my, my, my boss said, you know, I understand where you come from, it happens, you're human, but I do believe that everyone deserves grace. You're a valuable member of the team, should we get rid of you? I, you know, as much as some people want to, I'm not going to do that because you're much more valuable than that, but I need to know that you know that this is not acceptable and how we're going to fix this going forward, you know? Yeah. So, and I think sometimes we miss that opportunity also with the corrective action and saying, mm -hmm. okay, you know, you you ignore the meltdown or ignore the bad behavior and you never address it or you never, you never say, no, no, it was, what's, what's our next step, right? What is our, what is our action plan? What are, what what lessons do we learn from this? And in our next steps, what is our, uh, you know, strategic improvement plan? What is our performance improvement plan? And understand yeah. how the environment can impact that too, because maybe it's something yeah. in 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 your work culture that's causing yeah. somebody that's highly talented and, and potentially contributing um, to feel isolated and not like. <clears throat> Certainly, yeah, and I'm so grateful for having been in contact with managers, general managers who see that, who saw that light in me, and wanted to be like hey, you can't screw up like this, but this is what we're going to do. You know, in that situation, I was taking out, I couldn't sub any class. I had to do my own classes. You do, you focus on your schedule. And then when you get that together, then you can come back and you can sub some classes. But beyond that, it was like, you got to fire, you're going to go away. That would be, again, cutting your nose off the spot of your face. And just like at most gyms, at the gym where I teach at, imagine all of a sudden I'm gone one day. They've got a whole lot to fill. And, and it, it, it just would not be good. Now, if I was doing something bizarre, like, I mean, I, don't, I can't imagine what it would be, where I just need, I need to be sent away. I couldn't be there. That's one thing. But if I make a mistake, you know, I don't know what, what it could be. It's not going to be, we got to fire Jerry because of that particular thing. We got to make sure that Jerry doesn't do this again. We got to make sure that he understands what the process is and what we need from him or whatever. Or we may need to understand what's going on. This is, this is not typical of Jerry. 
what, let's, let's have a conversation. Let's see what's going on because maybe he'd be dealing with something. And you know that one of the things I'm dealing with right now is my mother-in-law who's dealing with early, early onset and I had to be out for a week because my husband and I are taking chances, go, chances, taking turns going back and forth and spending time with her. And that can be stressful in itself, you know. I mean, who knows where that may come from? And so that way we understand that, you know, these people are humans. Everyone deserves grace. We need to understand where people are and meet them where they are and make sure that not only are we meeting them where they are, but that they're being a productive member of this job, of this, um, of this company, however, or this team or whatever. So, I mean, there could be any number of things going on like that. That makes sense. Well, one thing about the, the, the particular gig economy and things like that, how have you transitioned? Because you don't work at just one gym. You, you float around no. 2,500 different <laughs> gyms telling all those people how to be yeah. J-Lo's backup dancers. So I am so. at, yeah, I'm at five different gyms. And one of the things I found, because I can't be at one gym because the members probably get sick of me. I see you every day, same classes, same music, same routine. I think it's important to diversify in the fitness industry. You know, and as much as we have, there, there are gyms, we call them angle biters, that there's a, a, a Pilates studio, there's a cycle studio, there's a row studio, there's a treadmill studio, there's this, that, and the other. And then we have the big boxes. And as much as gyms are diversifying doing that, I think as a trainer, as an instructor, you need to make sure you have your foot around so that you know what's going on in the industry that you know what's going on around the city. And that's important because say, for example, if I work at 24 Hour Fitness and I put all my coins in that thing, 24 Hour Fitness is bankrupt. I've got to start all over again. So I think it's crucial to understand in this particular industry that you can't just be a one horse pony and be I mean, a one trick pony and be in one place where you have all your coins there. Unless it's a big box, you can go to different locations. But you got to be very careful with that. I think it's important for me. It's been important to be at different gyms. How have, how have you built those relationships, though? Is it sort of an intuitive thing? Is it? Uh, many places I was asked, they came to me. And I think they came to me based on the reputation that I built in the community. Um, I was asked to come to the preserve or where I work where we go i was asked i i got um i was shopped at another gym for another gym and the the manager came in took my class and said hey we'd like to invite you here you've been on our um prospect list for a while we'd like to come for you to come and audition with us that's how i ended up there um another place um again it's again word of mouth people will tell you I mean, that's how I get a lot of my clients, my, my personal training clients that I've trained in their homes or if they come to me at a gym, and mostly word of mouth. When I first started, I applied. I applied at the YMCA. I applied at 24 Fitness. I applied at, um, um, there were some other smaller studios where I worked. And so after that, after establishing yourself as a, as a good instructor, as an effect, as a prominent instructor, as someone who's well-liked, most times they're going to come to you, they're going to recruit you, and they're going to ask you. So, I mean, that's not, I mean, it's kind of a notch, but yeah, um, the, the, the places where I work right now, every one of them, I was asked to come by someone there at the gym. But you, another point though, is as you've done this word of mouth, that could have been a positive reference or a negative reference, right? And so and maintaining definitely, definitely. your reputation over your 30 years in this business do you uh -huh. have any, any suggestions or perspective or, or anecdotes to suggest how people maintain their reputations? You, you're going to screw up. And I have many times. 
the main, I think the one thing that saves me, that has saved, not saved me, but has given me um, a respect, own it. I'm not going to blame it on anybody else. I'm going to own what I've done. I'll make a, I'll, I'll apologize. I said, you know, I've, I've said to some I'm so sorry I put you and this, this club in this position. I, you know, I'm sorry, and I want you to know that this will, I'll make sure this never happens again if I'm still allowed to work. Just stuff like that. You got to own everything. Some people will deflect and say, well, oh, well, I had this, or I had that. And sometimes that could be legitimate. But if it's a pattern of behavior and you don't own it, they'll. And so I think with me, that helped me stay in the industry because I owned my screw ups, but I also owned the good stuff too. Yeah, you know, I brought some great ideas in. I've you know created some different classes, different formats, and things like that. And so that that has helped me. But I think I guess the main thing I say would own it. Own your own yourself. Be it good or bad, you gotta own it because if you don't, you have no idea what you're doing. If you're going in there and either lying about what you did or making up an excuse because you, I didn't, I wasn't able to come because the, the, there was a fire at the, you know, what, and you know, whatever, you've got to own it every time because that says it, number one, I respect you. I want you to respect me. So I'm going to be honest with you and tell you what happened. It's like, um, I, I you've got to own it. You've got to own it. Cause if you don't, people will, people will be like, you know, that guy's flaky. Don't, yeah, don't, we don't want him on our team. I, I think beyond flaky, though, we go back to the, you know, a lot of my students don't know Aesop's fables, which is hilarious to me, but we, these, the, the various fables and myths such as the emperor's new, new clothes, and you say, uh-huh. just because you pretend that you're not naked doesn't mean that everyone else there doesn't know that you're naked. And so you can <laughs> pretend that, that the offense didn't occur, you can pretend that, um, you know, that, that it's, it's not a problematic behavior, but if everyone there is saying this is a problem and you're not mm-hmm. taking accountability when you know it is, how do they work with you? How do you provide feedback to an employee or, or even a reciprocal feedback yeah. to a, a manager? You, you start getting fed with a long spoon and eventually you're gone. <laughs> you're like, let's, let's give them a break. And then after a while, you're, you're so far outside of the circle that you become irrelevant. And then you and the, either you end up leaving or they end up firing you or letting you go. Because you're not trying to get make things better. You're not trying to be a part of the team. You're not trying to be a very effective part of that team. How have, have so. you experienced, I should say first, have you experienced situations where um, you had a manager or supervisor who struggled to communicate with you? Whether whether because you're, you know, you've, you've got a, a great deep, deep voice and you've got muscles or because of cross-cultural things. I mean, how did, if you had, if you've experienced this with the manager, how did you get them to come out of their shell and feel comfortable providing feedback? I try to be as open and as uh, gregarious and as generous as I can, especially as a black man working in an industry that is predominantly white and female because it can be very lonely. And there's perceived ideas about how I behave with other people as a black man. I've been told that I was too aggressive, that, um, I've been told that some people don't feel safe with me and, 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 and I'm like, I, I, I never thought I was a threat to anyone. So I have to, unfortunately I've had to over explain things and just be like super extra ingratiatingly kind, even when people have been ugly to me to get them to open up and say, you know what? And so finally I had, I was going back and forth with someone. Finally, she goes, you're so, you talk to everybody. You're so nice. 
And, it, and she goes, but I know, and I was like, this is our job. This is where we make our money. It has nothing to do with whatever preconceived ideas you have about me as a black man, as a gay man, as whatever you see. I don't know what you see, but those things have nothing to do with how we do our jobs. It may be an idea about how you see me. So I have to, I have to, I feel like I have to educate them and show them that it's number one, it's okay. I'm not a threat. I don't want anything from you. I want what's best for this whole team. So I've had to, I've, now that you, I'm going back to your original question, when I've encountered that situation, I've had to bring them in and say, look, this is how this is going to go. I don't want anything from you. I'm not a threat from you, to you. I don't want your position. I want nothing from you, but respect, and I'll give that back to you. Um, it, 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 that's a big challenge. It is a big challenge because you have, you have race, you have gender, and you have sexuality. You know, um, you know, I I don't know. Some people come to the table with some really odd ideas about who you are, and you have to prove them wrong. And you don't have no, no. I take you don't have to prove them wrong. You just have to show them who you really are. Like this one woman, I, there was some music on in the background, and we ended up singing the same song, and we we're having a good time singing the song. I'm like, and she was wild, and I was just like, I wanted to go. See, we 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 have so much more in common than not. Don't let that get in the way of us being an effective team. And as I say it, it's so disappointing that I've got to do all that extra crap. It's not crap. It's fun sometimes, but I feel it. it be, I have to. I feel like I have to lower myself to their level to bring them up out of that idea of what they think about who I am. And so that's that's been a challenge sometimes. Not all the time, but, but times that 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 stick out to me like that. And I mean, I can see it in my mind. I've seen those. I've, I can still see. Me and this woman just like added, added, added. And finally, that one day we we're just singing the song because the song was on and we were singing it together. And she was just like, This is so good. I'm like, <laughs> I mean, I didn't say, but I was like, Come on, I want nothing from you but a good time. That's it. You know? That could be taken so a different anyway. way, Jerry. I want nothing yeah, from but you. But you know, <laughs> no, but, <laughs> but happy. I want happy noise. I'll put it that way. Happy noise. You know, and then it goes back to one of the things that I think we're skipping for me in this industry, and especially in Pilates. When you think about Pilates, you know, think about the images that you see. You don't see anybody that looks like being Pilates. <laughs> and so I've, I've, sometimes I have to, almost have to prove myself in there. Well, who are you certified by? And who did you work with? Did you work with any of the elders? And I'm like, because I'm not in that box that I need to be in. And so sometimes in this industry, as a black man, it can be lonely. I don't even know what it's like for a black woman, but so I have to do this extra work, not to prove myself, but to make these other people feel comfortable with me being in their space. God, it sounds horrible. And I, and yeah. I when we, when earlier, I kind of alluded to this idea. I, I didn't know where you're going on this path, but I alluded to the idea that sometimes with this desegregation, with this, everybody's the same sort of mantra um, that we, with this sort of fictitious narrative, sometimes I have seen at least um, my fellow minorities and, and sometimes people of other sort of disenfranchised groups go into situations and fail because they were unable to accept those subtle hints that I did not feel comfortable giving them overtly or expressly by saying, they do not see you the same way. You have the same big lips I do. You have the same brown skin I do. 
and and, yeah. and because they didn't get those hints, and then they were excluded, and and they and and you you feel badly, kind of like for the person who threw out, threw down the weights and you never saw them again. I never had uh-huh. an opportunity to go revisit with them and educate them and say, you may see yourself as a person of good character and a soul, but what some people are going to, not all people, thank God, but some people are just going to see your melanin. Some people are just going to see mm-hmm. your gender, your sexual identity. That's what they're, that's what you are to them. And I, yeah, I don't, I don't think you, you should need to. I think it's sad that you would have to modify behavior, but when you're in those situations, yeah. you at least acknowledge it. Because you you mentioned the big thing, and hopefully my students are, who are business minded appreciate this. Purpose of business is to maximize profits. So, yeah. bottom line, you can be do do you want to be right or happy? So if you want to <laughs> be happy with that money, you need to get on board with whoever's signing those paychecks. Yeah, and exactly. so sometimes I think that that introspection, that self acknowledgement, is lacking in some of the younger people that I've worked with, where where they 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 just can't even envision themselves as what clearly other people on that team or work group see them as right because you don't you don't you see yourself as yourself you don't you don't have all these other things assigned and all these sticky notes attached to you like be careful of this one this one does this this one does that it's like you're like i'm here i'm excited this is my job and blah blah, blah. and then when you get pushed aside pushed aside pushed aside or maybe you're brought along who knows you know but you have to be um mindful of who you are in those spaces in with those people sometimes you got to go the extra mile to make them feel okay because in order to keep your job in order to keep your position sometimes you got to be ingratiating it's horrible to say but i've done that i'm and i was going to say this even to the point when i was in in high school i made a point to enunciate to make sure i didn't sound like my my relatives that i didn't sound too black that I didn't that I sounded less threatening because I was enunciating because I looked them in the air when I was talking to them and it was just was I being fake and phony no but I was going I was doing all this extra work and now that I say I mean I don't know how I'm not just exhausted trying to, you know it's like what but now that 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 is such a part of who I am that you know making sure that I, that I talk clearly because it's part of what my degree is Making sure that I make eye contact again is what I've learned to do, even in, in broadcast journalism and in fitness. So it's helped me along the way, but it was hard work to get there. It's hard work. Yeah. Well, Mr. Jones, I've taken a lot of your time, and I don't want to take it too long because I also listen. And one of my former students in the Ukraine said, "Professor, it needs to be 53 minutes." And I said, "Natalia." <laughs> Thank you. Where did you get this information from? So a lot of times it takes us a while to warm up, but I knew with your, your natural uh, positive energy that it wouldn't take as long to get started. So no. I think we've, we've provided quite a bit of content, but are there any thoughts sure. that you said, you didn't ask me this question about my cool car. You didn't ask me this question about how much money I made last year. And, and I, and I want to tell you that my new stadium's doing really well in Dallas or, uh, uh, Any of those things um, that you think I didn't ask that you think would be a value? You know, I think I go back to that with my my name, Jerry Jones. I go back to when I'm introduced to people because that inevitably comes up. Jerry Jones, I always say all the charm, but not the money. I think that charm is what gets you into jobs, what gets you into spaces that you want to be in. That That charm introduces you to people that charm makes people want to come to you so i think i'm not saying be charming but be open to those possibilities 
be open to people around you. Don't shut yourself off. Acknowledge folks. Make that eye contact. Say hi. Say goodbye. And I was going to say also a while back in the, this is a long conversation. I enjoy talking to you. In the convocation at University of Chapel, University of Chapel Hill, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, there were very few black students. I think out of the thirty thousand or so that were there, there were two thousand of us. And so the, one of the this man, I forget who it was from the Black Student Union, one of the chancellors, whatever, said, when you go around this campus, acknowledge one another. There are only a few of you. Make sure that you say hi to one another. Hold your head up. Don't walk around with your head down. Hold your head up and, and say hi. Good morning. Good afternoon. How are, you know, whatever. That's important because that, that, that speaks to your existence. That speaks to your importance. And I would say that in the workforce, hold your head up. Look around you. Understand what's going on in that environment. Speak to people. Get to know these people. You're not in a vacuum. You want to know most every, if not everybody, most everyone in that place. In that place, and I think that is what's important. Be charming. Be open to to those possibilities because you never know what you're going to run into. I think that's wise wisdom, as they say. No, yeah, I, and and valuable points. Some of those times things don't only have you know the altruistic benefit or even the social benefit, but. I actually use courtesy as a form of security. If I have been saying good morning and you run the other direction or I have never seen you in this part of the building before and you look nervous when I say good morning. Black man, black man. Red, now I get to be the oppressor and say, I'm calling the police. I'm carrying the Because I've smiled and said good morning and you, you're either going the other way or you're- Yeah, exactly. So even a personal security benefit. But I, I do agree with you that uh, that, that, that is, highly important aspect of our of our existence is to acknowledge the humanity in others and to acknowledge others thank you so and i said charm but i like your word Cur be courteous be courteous i think that's more descriptive be courteous to those who are around you that's important that that way we show respect to, to each other to one another and i think this conversation has been very important i do enjoy speaking with you as you well know i'll talk to you to the cows come home but i hope that your students and whoever's listening to this get some great perspective from it and is able to use it some of the life lessons that i've imparted here from you know acknowledging one another to being charming to owning your your um your your faults and your and even owning your 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 good things i mean i think those are important important and understand your story look at your story have the perspective understand where you come from and how you got to where you are that's important as well so later <laughs> thank you jerry all right thank you sir Ha, <laughs>